Welcome to episode 29 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in property investing. Today, I'm happy to welcome back Kate Bakos. Kate's joined me a few times before talking about all things investing for the property buyer. As a buyer's agent, qualified property investment advisor and president of the Real Estate Buyers Agent Association of Australia and co-host of the podcast, The Property Planner, Buyer and Professor. Quite a resume. Kate has definitely earned her stripes. A dedicated property investor herself, Kate has interests in both residential and commercial property and also via her self-managed super fund. She has helped her clients evaluate their property purchases and guided them through the negotiations. Today, she joins us to talk through the challenges of navigating price guides and what to look for, particularly in the fast-moving market we find ourselves in now. Welcome back, Kate. Kate Bakos, thank you for joining me back on the Gid for Growth podcast. It's always a pleasure. I always feel special when I get that little invite in my inbox from you. <laughs> well, this is invite number four. Now, if uh, anyone is interested in going into the back catalogue, the first episode we did together was episode 29. Um, that was when I reached out to you from memory because you won Buyer's Agent of the Year and I had had no interaction with you uh, before. And then, of course, we became friends and we did yeah. a webinar for episode 80, which was during the, the early stages of the pandemic. Uh, and then we did uh, episode 90 together where we were talking specifically about, I can't remember what it was, research this later, edit this out, probably won't because <laughs> it's not that sort of production. Anyway, thanks for coming back. Today we, we're talking about navigating price guides. Now, typically the price guide, it's an obvious thing. We're sort of saying, okay, for auction, we think it's going to go between this and this. Now, price guides exist both for private treaty sales and auction sales. Auctions perhaps we hear about a little bit more, but even the price guides for, for properties that aren't going to auction have a part to play. Sometimes it's offers over, sometimes it's a buyer inquiry range. Can you talk to us about how these come together and how it can be a bit of a trap for purchases? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. There's just so many different regimes. And the problem that we've got is some look like they're the the same as something else that a buyer might have experienced. So, for example, price guide with a range. And depending on how the agent has quoted that and what generally happens in that that area, the buyer might be assuming that they're dealing with an agent that has underquoted it. So, has given a price guide that's a bit fictitious or it's pulling buyers in and they have to be above and beyond it. Other times they might assume that that the the vendor's expectation is, is in the middle of that guide And if you don't determine what the agent is actually looking for, you can make the wrong offer unless you're doing all of your homework, which is really the overarching reason for us chatting about this today because homework is imperative. Mm. But there's so many different methods of sale, methods of quoting prices, and in some states no prices are quoted and it's up to the buyer to determine what the property is worth to them. So it is a minefield and it's one of the, the key reasons why buyer's agents get opportunities to help people is because a lot of people can't navigate this by themselves. At the end of the day, is it really just part of the selling agent's tradecraft and they're going to set whatever buyer inquiry range or whatever price or even if it's price on application because in their mind it's going to do the best possible job for the vendor? It's an interesting question. 
Now, it's important to note that our legislation is state-based. So this is a, a varied um, way of selling property anyway. From state to state, there's different rules, there's different legislation. And city to city, you know, there's different methodologies as well. In short, the way that a property's price is quoted should be uh, a move by the agent to advantage the vendor. That, that's who they work for. That's where their fiduciary duty is. And they should be quoting the property so that they can get the best result for the vendor. But mm. it doesn't always mean that they're dealing fairly with buyers. And that's that's a problem. An agent that can manage both buyers and vendors fairly is, is a very good agent and it can be done. But unfortunately, there's, there is a lot of deception around price quoting. Uh, there, there's a lot of games and trickery in some markets. And you do tend to find that if everyone is doing it one way, then a vendor might be disadvantaged if they try and do it a different way. Mm. So what I mean by that is if you're, you're in a marketplace that, that typically does underquote, a vendor might find that quite offensive and they, they don't want to play a part in that. So they'll ask their agent to quote it accurately. Now, if all of the buyers have been more or less educated to to add a certain percentage or to expect that the resultant price will be above the quoted range, that vendor that's being honest might be disadvantaged. Mm. Buyers might look at the property and say, oh, no way, it's not worth 15% above that range and they won't visit the property. So it really is a catch-22 and I think the secret to solving it is actually in the legislation. Mm. And where does that stand at the moment? I mean, it's been in the news for, for probably a good year or two that agents have been fined for, for underquoting, which is surely a lot harder to police in a market such as we're in at the moment where the agents are often shrugging their shoulders and sort of saying, we don't really know, like it's way yeah. over what we thought it was going to be already. Yes. I, th- I think when it's a public auction, you can see if it's been underquoted when the reserve is announced. Mm. And if it's been, let's, for argument's sake, say it was quoted in Victoria, we have to have, we're restricted to a 10% range. So let's say it's $1 to $1.1 million and the bids are still flying at one2 and the property's not on the market. That's underquoting. Yep. That's an issue. Now, the issue is certainly um, something that we see quite a bit, but in Victoria in particular, the issue sits with our legislation, not necessarily with the agent. Sometimes the agent's guilty of underquoting and deceiving. Other times the vendor's made a decision on auction morning, this is now my reserve. Mm. And the vendor reserves the right to set their reserve as late as they like because our legislation in Victoria allows for the vendor to nominate the reserve on their form, on their exclusive authority form, as, as late as auction morning. Mm. And that's, that's a problem because if they've been going along thinking, yep, we'd be happy with 1.1 and then a house down the road sells on the same day as their auction and it gets a stellar result, well, a lot of vendors will automatically change their price expectations. And, of course, that doesn't have to be declared because the agent is not bound legally to declare the vendor's reserve at all until mm. the auction. So that's where the problem lies. Not every state is the same as Victoria and we've, we've probably made the process quite convoluted for ourselves because Consumer Affairs, our, our Victorian um, body, made a move a while ago to try and outlaw this and to insist that the agents declare three recent comparable sales on a statement of information and that has to accompany you know, every sale. It needs to be on display on the table. It needs to be attached online with the listing. Mm-hmm. So anyone can grab the statement of information and have a look. But here is where the issue sits. It's pretty flimsy. So in the regions, the the word recent 
in terms of comparable sales can be as, as non-recent as 18 months old. Mm-hmm. And in the city, six months old. Now, you and I both know if you're tracking at 20% per year, that's 10% price movement over six months, not helpful. Already, assuming that Already. the comparables are exact. Yeah, now there's the next issue. The agent can cherry pick stuff that's not comparable. So you've got a beautiful property on a tree-lined street in an A-grade area. You can find a property that's sold on a train line or a busy road or a property on smaller land or a, an inferior dwelling condition. And while most of us would say, well, that's not comparable, they get three comparable sales on the back of a statement of information. Consumer affairs are way too busy to then vet how comparable those comparable sales are. Mm. So they've created a rod for their own back. There's just so much to try and police now. Mm. And let's put it into perspective and talk about who consumer affairs are. You know, they're, they're a, a tiny part of, of um, our body and they're very, very busy. So, yes, you see the occasional fine being given, but I don't think that they've got enough manpower on the ground to tackle all of this. It really does require legislative change. Mm, they almost certainly don't. And, I mean, you look at the, the Taxation Office of Australia, that they, they keep reducing the size of these departments and really it comes down to, all right, we're going to cherry pick where we think that the worst things are going on and they might be well outside of real estate, right? So they might not There's get hope. too involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You hope so. Otherwise your phone will no be ringing off the hook. <laughs> yeah. so, so what is the answer from a legislation point of view? What, what is a reasonable middle ground, do you think? Declare your reserve has right. to go on the form. Yeah. And I think every vendor deserves the chance to change their reserve. I mean, it's their prerogative, it's their property. They might The market might be moving at pace or they might have a property that's very, very hard to identify a fair price expectation and then all of a sudden there is a comparable sale that, that helps them underpin an expectation. But it has to be declared. And even if it's as early as auction morning, the agent can say, hey, we've had a, a reserve price change in the last hour and this is going to be the reserve or here is the new quoted range, whatever it might be. I think enabling someone not to tick that box and declare their number gives way to a lot of bad behaviour. Mm. And so how would that be presented at the auction? That would be a, a public disclosure of if it's going over this, it will sell? It can be that. That obviously takes away a lot of the art and the craft for the auctioneer and for the the selling agents because you you do see people playing with reserves. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if the property passes in and the reserve was 1.1, you can bet on it that the agent will tell you the reserve was 115. They'll give themselves a bit of buff because it's turned into a negotiation. As soon as it's passed in, it's a private negotiation. It might have an exclusive opportunity, but you're not necessarily dealing at the vendor's reserve which is why some BAs will say, I want to see the authority, show me the reserve. Yep. And there are ways that, that others tackle it, such as declaring the reserve on the ad online. Uh, we've got an, an agency here in, in Williamstown that, that do that. They, just, they declare the reserve price. And that, that could be, you know, it has its own challenges because if the vendor has reason to believe that their house might have gone up in value over the, the three or four week campaign well how do they tackle that obviously yes. they have to adjust it but there there are ways of doing it that are less deceptive and less um awkward and clunky than this statement of information idea well i'm going to leave this up to brighter minds than myself and uh you can you can sort of traipse up and down the halls of of state parliament 
on your own for that one. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the little guy, the guy that's trying to, to purchase this property. Uh, let's yeah. say you've got someone going to, to auction and there is uh, a price guide that it says, you know, 1 to 1.1. How much can that be taken to the, to the bank and, and what should a person be doing so that they've got the best possible information and, and research to, to head into that auction with a fair idea of what it's actually going to go for? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. There are a few ways to do this. So if you've got a good rapport with the agent, you can find out how many other buyers that particular agent is looking after on this campaign. In other words, how many buyers represent potential commission for them? Mm -hmm. If there's lots of them, you might not get as favourable treatment as you're hoping. But let's say a couple of the buyers have been tagged by others in the office and you happen to be the only buyer that this agent is looking after. They've got a sales commission pinned on you Mm. and your success. So the first stop is to ask them what they think it most compares to or what they think it might go for or what it's worth. And that's probably the most vague approach here because you don't always get the figure that that you want from the agent and that's because they they might genuinely not be able to predict it or they, they won't want to tell you a figure that could scare you off. They don't want to put you off and then have you looking at other properties and they've lost you. Mm. Um, the next thing that you could do is chat to another agent in town that you get along with because if you have made friends with some of the agents, if you've been pleasant to them and they're happy to help you out, a lot of them will know what the property is worth. They might even know what the vendor's expectation is and why the vendor's selling because vendors usually chat to a few agents before they make a decision to run mm. with one. So that's not a bad idea either. That's sometimes how I get some intel if I really need it and can't work it out myself. But the best way of going about this is to conduct your own recent comparable sales analysis. You don't need paid portals. You don't need a valuations degree. You actually just need to get onto the search engine, look at the sold tab and find some properties that have similar attributes in the same suburb, ideally. Sometimes you'll have a neighbouring suburb that doesn't have a diminished land value to the one that you're focusing on, which means it it too could be a good gauge. But you've got to recognise the shortfalls of the property and make sure that you're looking at properties that score similarly in terms of any shortfall. So, for example, if it's a semi-main road or if it's not in very good condition or if it's got an easement running across the land that prohibits you doing anything that you wanted to do in the backyard, There are things that you need to be mindful of so that you're not comparing an A-grade property with a B-grade property and vice versa. And then when you've collated a few sales and don't go back more than, let's say, two or three months because if the market's moving, you don't want to be looking at old sales. And if you are, if it's such um, an unusual property, you need to be prepared to overlay capital growth because if you've had 10% movement across the year and you're looking at something that's six months old, well, you add 5%. So there is a bit of science to it, but if you've been looking for a little while, you'll probably be familiar with some of the sales anyway. And I do say to people that are out there doing it for themselves, go to as many auctions in the suburb as you can and look at similar sales. Even if you don't like the house, it's not for you. If it could be a data point for you, it's a valuable exercise. And you can then also understand what happened at that auction or with that sale. 
So if you're looking at data and, and some anomalies jump out at you, you need to be prepared to pick up the phone and track down the agent and ask what happened. I always do that if I, if I see a sale that looks extremely high or extremely low based on all of the others in the mix. I'll pick up the phone because you have to be prepared to throw away the outliers. Yeah. That's recent comparable sales analysis. Now, a buyer's agent's going to do that for you, right? And that's yes. that's part of your investment. If you're doing that yourself, you kind of think about the value of this asset. It's so high that it, it demands you spend a little bit of time educating yourself on the market. So it might sound mm-hmm. like a little bit of work, but you've got to sort of weigh it up. Like if I get this wrong, yeah. it could cost me a fortune. But... The good well, news. It could cost me the property. That, well, exactly. You know, I went for a price that was fair. That's a big issue. I see a lot of people, you know, they come to me, I've missed this auction, I've missed that auction, and I'll, I'll look them up and say, why? That was a good price. Mm. Yeah, we know that now, but at the time, you know. Yeah, you've got to be ready to pull the trigger because, you know, not everything is, is, is an emotional sale that's gone way over market that can't be justified. Sometimes yeah. they sell for a good price, even in Absolutely. hot markets, right? Yeah, I've had a few wins that I, I thought were very good buys and sometimes it, they were so underquoted and it was such a stark differential to where I pegged the market value that people might have assumed that going, you know, 20 or 30% over the quote was, was insanity. But with the data on hand, it wasn't insanity. Mm. So super low quote ranges can sometimes work in the buyer's favour because if it conditions buyers down, you might have the advantage when you're paying the right price or you're prepared to pay the right price. Yeah, because when it comes to market value, the price guide is, is, could be completely ridiculous, right? So if, you're, mm. if you've got a price guide of 900 and it's going up to 1.15 and you've got comparables at 1.3, people might be going, oh, this lady's going to spend way too much money on it. It can't be worth that because the price mm. guide's kind of led them up the garden path, but you could still actually get a steal. Yes. Now, the good news, Kate, because what you talked about there is, is a lot of work, let's be honest. You've got to yeah. log in, search addresses, hit sold Lots tabs. Lots of phone calls because yeah. of all those undisclosed prices, you know, price withheld, mm. inquire with agent. Well, you've got to do that. You pick up the phone and inquire with the agent. Yeah. I've already nodded off. That's just far too <laughs> arduous, right? But... Um, but I can be safe in the knowledge that my lazy attitude to property research is backed by the power of certain banks that have apps that ping when you're looking through a house and you get to give that knowing little wink or nod to another buyer saying, it's not going to go for 1.1. It says here on my app, it's 1.15. So, oh, dear. Yep. Yeah. You've seen the ad, haven't you? I have. Yeah, those... Um Modelled valuations, they're not valuations, unfortunately. They're just system-generated off an algorithm and they land so many people in the wrong position. They really can uh, lead you up the garden path and I've watched people either pay too much or not pay enough and miss out on the property. Um, They're not worth the paper they're printed on. They're not completely useless, though, where they can be, and these, what we're referring to, are called CMAs, Comparative Market Analyses, and the banks throw them about. They're, They're based on an algorithm that, I believe the algorithm for all of them comes out of CoreLogic, correct me if I'm wrong, and it's a clever algorithm, but a computer can't talk to the agent and can't um, separate the anomaly sales and can't have information on hand that identify data points that can't be used. And what I really mean by that is if someone's done an extensive renovation on a property, well, that renovation won't be registered on um, 
on a price guide. So that's missed. And I see lots of people feeling pretty upset about their their algorithm result when they've just spent half a million dollars on the house and it's not reflected in, mm. in the quoted price. So you need a valuer to walk through that and determine when, when that's the case. Now, it also occurs when a sale has gone through but the subdivision hasn't. So in other words, the sale's recorded but the settlement hasn't recorded yet because the subdivision is still running through our titles office. And if that's the case, the title area, the size of, of the block of land will still be recorded as a parent title and it won't be reflecting the subdivided smaller piece of land. So that throws the algorithm as well. So it could then, look like it's going to be a house on a block, uh, a big block, but what's actually mm-hmm. happened is that they've sold off the front only and they've got a plan to build something on the back. Uh, oh, they've built it and it's a little unit. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, so it's, all it's, of a sudden you've got a data point that's pulling everything down. Mm. And that's it, isn't it? Like it's data points because if you mm. think about a kitchen and bathroom renovation, often there's no development application because you're not changing the floor area. So even the council don't have a data point for it. And that, that's what these CMAs are, right? They're, they, they can only calculate based on data that exists in the world. And when that's missing, there's the problem, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, and there's, there's other gaps in, um, in all of this data that, that gets um, called up by these algorithms, if someone sells a property for a non-market price, so we're talking about, you know, familial transfers or, um, you know, you see it between husband and wife, mm. those those data points can really throw things as well. So if, if Nana sells you the property for 100 grand. She wants to give you a head start, right? <laughs> so she's right. Lo- She's looking up, good old Nana. Yeah. But that... It, that is a data point that exists in the real world, but it's not an arm's length transaction. She wouldn't sell it to to anybody else. It's only mm. it's only her dear grandchild. Yeah. So these these um, reports that people get, they're not entirely useful. In fact, they're reasonably useless. But if you have a look at the data and then question it yourself, so go through the comparable sales and see which ones are actually helpful. Sometimes the sale prices will be listed where they're not necessarily showing up in the sold tab of a search engine. So it can you know, save you a few phone mm. calls or save you searching, but you've got to be prepared to go through and cull the ones that aren't, um, aren't suitable. It could be a real treasure map, couldn't it? You could, you could do yeah. a CMA and say, okay, well, these are the addresses that I need to go uh, have a look at, but it's not enough just to print the thing and, and have the automatic calculation on, it, on its own, despite yeah. how confident that fellow in the ad looked. He looked like he'd cracked it, right? He didn't need a buyer's agent. He had an app. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) All right. So if you you could finish off with perhaps the three tips that you've got and um, I'll leave it open to auction, private treaty, whatever whatever you like. There's an agent saying, here's what we think it's going to go for, whether it's an offers over, whether it's a range. What are the best tips for owner-occupiers and investors alike to, to understand where it's likely to sit in the real world? Knowledge is power. So whether it's calling for best and highest, whether it's closed tender bids, whether it's an auction campaign that's wildly underquoted, whether it's a, a, a pricing range for a private sale that looks fair and reasonable, if you haven't done your homework, you're just guessing and you're just leaning on how you feel about the agent and the agency and how the campaign's going. It's not a great way to roll when so much money is at stake. If you really don't want to do it or you find the task just too intimidating or you don't feel it's your strength, you can outsource it. Whether it's a buyer's agent or a valuer, you can do that. 
Um, I think being prepared to talk to agents and having the conversation with agents once you've done your homework is really, really powerful. You're not necessarily showing your hand. One of the questions I ask agents if I need a little bit of guidance is which comparable sales do you think are most representative of this one? I've got these five, but some of them are overs, some of them might be unders. You can really open the the dialogue when you put something on the table yourself and and show them that you're really trying to work this out. You don't need to ask them if it's underquoted or get annoyed about the comparable sales that they've used. You've just got to be prepared to show them that you are pretty tuned in. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's gold. Uh, anything else you want to leave us with? Don't look at the price guide. Sometimes it can throw you. I will often do all of the analysis on a property before I've checked what the quote range is because I don't want it to influence me. Mm. And But it could influence the crowd, which could be a good thing that works in your favour, right? But you've got yeah, to be prepared for that. That's <laughs> right. And look for the hidden invisibles. So the things that can devalue a property, if it, if it looks too cheap to, to be true, try and ask yourself, is, is there an underlying reason? It's not necessarily just because the agent's underquoted it. Sometimes it's the wrong zoning or it's got a bad easement or there's, you know, some kind of encumbrance that, that deems it a, a property that isn't necessarily going to reach the same highs as other similar looking properties that have different zonings or different title types. Awesome. I think those are some really great tips and obviously your trade craft is very impressive. There's a lot goes into purchasing a property with proper research and, and due diligence. So hopefully that's encouraged people to understand the value of a buyer's agent or if you want to do it yourself, you better get uh, prepared to roll your sleeves up and, and get that uh, get that power and the knowledge. Kate, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you so much for asking me, Mark. Cheers. Cheers.